Will you, uh, will you pray with me as we open the word together? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that not only did Paul meet Jesus, but you've recorded it so that we can meet Jesus as well. And we thank you that we have that opportunity even today to, to open and read and, and ponder and pray and allow you to speak uh, to, your, to our hearts and to have your way in our, in our lives, Lord. We, we uh, pray that you would give us the ability today to be able to focus our thoughts on what you would have um, us to think about and hear and, and ask and, and question today and that you would bless uh, your word to our hearts and our lives. Pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives this day, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, more than three-quarters of the way through a three-year journey through the Bible, and today we're in Acts chapter 9. Now, uh, I'm going to bring up a slide that's actually an excerpt from the newsletter. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask Dave to do it. A slide from the ex, that's excerpted from the newsletter that we send out each week by email. This is a week ago Thursday. This was part of, of that. And uh, I think if we can. What I'm looking at and what you're looking at are two different things sometimes, and I never know uh, what you're seeing. All right. How many of you get the newsletter? How many of you don't get the newsletter? Okay. How many of you have email, but you don't get the newsletter? (laughs) This is a plug for the weekly newsletter. And uh, there's many reasons why I want to plug the newsletter. Do we have it there yet? No. Okay. Okay. In the newsletter each week, there is a reading plan for not the Sunday coming, but the Sunday following. So, nine days ago, in the newsletter, the excerpt that, I, that we're trying to find and bring up on the screen is um, a, be sure to read Acts 9 in preparation for Sunday, February 14th. There it is. Okay. That's right out of the newsletter. Just a slice of the newsletter. Be sure to read Acts 9 in preparation for Sunday, February 14th. This was Thursday, February, I don't know, 9 from 14. What's that? 15th? 5? Yeah, I'm going the wrong. Yeah, 15th. Yeah. The 5th, right. February 5th. Um, so... If you saw that, you had the opportunity to click the link right there and then and read Acts chapter 9. Or you could uh, think about maybe making it a devotional habit. Uh, Friday morning, for example, every Friday morning, you could make it a habit. You know there's good habits and bad habits, right? 
there are good habits, right? Well, uh, having a morning time with the Lord each morning is a good habit. And you could also make it a habit of checking the newsletter every Friday morning to see, just to go through. And this is one of the things that you could do. So uh, if you have come here today or if you're watching online and you have read Acts chapter 9 recently, you'll get way more out of this message. Uh, not only that, but I, I, and I probably don't need to remind you of this, but um, God's command for us to immerse ourselves in Holy Scripture is not something that is replaced by listening to sermons either. And so we're, we're attempting to study the Bible together. We're going through Scripture together, and it's, it's important. It's important that we do that and that we, we are responsible for our individual development, right? Our personal development. You're responsible for your personal development, not me. I'm responsible for my personal development. That, that goes for uh, what we call uh, spiritual things, but it goes for, for everything in our lives. And, uh, and uh, so that's a, a little bit of a commercial. If you were to go to that newsletter I referenced and you were to scroll down a little bit farther, there's a, there's a thing there that says, we've added a new channel to Faith Baptist Library on Right Now Media. How many of you saw this? A, a channel that we've added all, that's all about mental health from a biblical uh, perspective. Lots of talk about mental health these days. But did you know that you can go on a Right Now Media account, and you can have a Right Now Media account for free, simply because you're a part of this church family. You, it's all covered, and you can go and you can set up an account, and for free, you can re- access all those resources. And not only that, you can share them. There's no limit on, on your, you can share them with anybody you want. Anybody. And there's re- resources on there all about uh, bib- a biblical perspective on how God wants us to be mentally healthy. And uh, so that's just another thing that's on, that's on that uh, newsletter. So uh, what an opportunity that is uh, to share when we think about reaching out. When we think about reaching out, we talk about reaching out, like, but how do we actually do that? How do you, how do you reach out to people that you, you may know who are maybe struggling, uh, but you don't even know how to broach the conversation about, about, about things, you know? There's so many resources on there that are so good. So that's all just part of my way of saying, if you don't get the newsletter... Uh, think about getting it. If you do get it and you don't read it, which probably represented more people, take take make it part of your of your week. Because these things are all important. Okay, that's a commercial. I'm not done with that because I'll probably be ranting about it forever. Uh, but we want to talk about Acts chapter nine. Um, that's where we're at this week. So if you want to turn and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, that would be good. Four weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 7, and we concluded that that day, uh, that Sunday morning, with uh, Stephen's corpse at the feet of a young Pharisee named Saul. Um, Three weeks ago, we looked at that Saul's letter to the church at Rome that he wrote many years later, all about the gospel on mission. And then uh, two weeks ago, Josh finished up that little series we were doing on show and tell uh, uh, by going to the book of James, real, some real practical stuff there. And then last week, Josh began a five-week series 
called uh, Guess Who, which looks at the surprises of God uh, in the people that he claims uh, for, for his own. So, so last week, Josh had us in Acts chapter 8, and we were looking at the, uh, the Samaritans, and then, uh, and then the moving out to the Gentiles, the Ethiopian eunuch, if you recall that. Uh, so these are the most unexpected characters we might, uh, we might think. Uh, you know, who, who would have thought some of these people would be people that God would be at work in their lives, and they would be recipients of the good news of the gospel. Now, John Stott refers to the, uh, what happens in Acts chapter 9, that where we're at today, as the most famous conversion in church history. The conversion of Saul. What, who was Saul and what was he like? Saul is his Jewish name. Paul or Paulus was simply his Greco-Roman name because Saul was not only a Jew, but he also was a Roman citizen. He grew up in a city called Tarsus, which was about 500 miles uh, roughly north of uh, Jerusalem um, in what is now modern Turkey. He was a Pharisee. He was a son of a Pharisee. He did go to school in Jerusalem, though. Perhaps maybe at the age of 12, he would have traveled to Jerusalem. We think maybe he might have stayed with his sister who lived there. Uh, There's a reference in Acts 23 to her. And while young Saul was at school in Jerusalem, he sat under a very famous and renowned Pharisee named Gamaliel. And you can read a little bit about Gamaliel actually in Acts chapter 5, the last part of Acts chapter 5. It was Gamaliel who uh, spoke up on behalf of um, Peter and John. Um, And uh, I won't go into that. You can read it there. But as we were coming into the New Testament, we talked about Pharisees. As, you know, back in the, I don't know, was it back in the early fall or back last spring? I, I honestly don't remember how long ago we were transitioning out of the Old Testament and the New Testament on our journey through the Bible. But when we were coming in, we talked, to, you know, remember Nicodemus? Do you remember uh, the Pharisees' interaction with Jesus, uh, the healing of the blind man? Because they're everywhere through the Gospels. Everywhere. You can't, you can't hardly look in a chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and not find a Pharisee. They're just, they're everywhere. They are probably the most prominent group in the whole, whole New Testament account. Uh, a group that Jesus seemed to interact with almost more than any other. And it's because they were such a prominent uh, uh, group of people. And uh, it's important to understand that, that their presence uh, on the scene, and that helps us understand Saul, because Saul was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. When we first meet Saul, he's in his early 30s. He's old enough to be a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling uh, council of the Jews, but he's still young enough to be called a young man in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. 
So he would have been undoubtedly in his early, possibly mid-30s at the time. And he, that would make him about the same age as Jesus. Stephen, Philip, these other characters, probably likewise, young men. Things happen in the lives of young men. That's not to say that things can't happen in the lives of young women or old men. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to, to read these accounts and, and see God working. I don't know if we expect God to work in, life, in the lives of young men in these days. Um, what was Saul like? The fact that he was a Pharisee tells us a lot. But even within the Pharisees, there were differences, right? Remember Nicodemus? Gamaliel himself? Paul uh, was not a common man. All of these other disciples of Jesus that he called uh, to follow him, that, who became the apostles of Christ, um, they were pretty common, common guys, but Saul wasn't a common guy. Uh, Saul was an intellect. He was an intellectual. He was a scholar. He was very studious. In fact, he excelled. He excelled in everything he did. If you were asked to choose one word to describe Saul of Tarsus, you might want to use the word zealous. Because Paul himself used that word to describe himself in his early life more than once. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3. Zealous is an interesting word, isn't it? It's a word we don't really use a whole lot anymore. But uh, it's, it's interesting because it comes from, it's derived from the word uh, which in, in the Greek means to boil. Uh, it is a reference to burning emotion, inner feelings boiling over. Now, we may not put intellectual scholar together with, <laughs> with uh, burning emotion, but this guy Saul, he was really quite something. Um, something very fervent. Red hot is another uh, uh, description uh, of the word uh, zealous. I'm reading from, by the way, from uh, uh, Thayer's uh, Greek thesaurus. It says, as with spirit-fueled zeal, uh, the root is used both negatively and positively depending on the context. It literally means hot enough to boil. It is metaphorically used a burning anger, but it's also used a burning love. What was Saul like? Well, this is a statement from, from, from Saul, from Paul. He said to the Philippians, he said, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> That's quite a statement, isn't it? 
But then he goes on to list his pedigree or what we call his pedigree. He talks about his family background and the legacy of where he was born and the family he was born into and the nation he was born into. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul and he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Does that trigger anything in your memory when we were back in First Samuel? Because this would be his namesake here, Right? And then he goes on to talk about his personal achievements over the first three decades of his life. And they were substantial. Substantial enough that they put him in a class of elite who were held in highest esteem by the people. Saul was famous even as a young man. And if you look in Acts 26, verse 26, you'll see that later on when Paul is, or Saul, Paul, is giving his testimony to uh, King Agrippa, he says to him at one point, he says, he says, these things didn't happen in some corner somewhere. You know all these things. You know about all these things. Saul was a famous guy. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He wasn't even just a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was their young champion. Getting to know this Saul, what was he like? He was an angry man. A lot of men are angry. Did you know that? Some of you go, yep. Some of you here are men, and you're going, yep. I know that. Some of you here are women, and you're going, yep, I knew that. A lot of young men are angry. Maybe you're angry. If you are, you have something in common with this man we call Saul Saul of Tarsus. We want to start our reading this morning in Acts chapter 8. We're not going to stay there. We're just going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 9. So if you just flip back a page, Acts chapter 8, Saul approved of his execution. He's talking about who? Stephen. Saul approved of his execution. Acts chapter 7 is all about Stephen's testimony and, and how they stoned him to death as he called out, uh, Father, forgive them. Just like Jesus. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, Except the apostles. Devote men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. Josh said last week that the word ravaging there reminded him like a, of a wild dog or something. Maybe, maybe a wolf. Well, there's a reason for that is because that word in the Greek is only used in, this is the only place it's used in the New Testament, but it is in the Old Testament, Greek version of the Old Testament in Psalm 80, where it describes wild boars devastating a vineyard. And uh, John Stott says that the word especially refers to the ravaging of a body by a wild beast. I don't know if you've ever seen a wild beast ravage a body or not. It's not something, not a common sight, but it's very graphic, isn't it? 
And he said, if you want to know what Saul was like, if you want to know what Saul was like, that's what he was like. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, but Saul breathing, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord like a wild animal went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if any found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Keep saying that, doesn't it? Men and women. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it will be told you what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now it doesn't get much more dramatic than that, does it? This would be, this would be the opposite of uh, another day at the office. This is a life-changing, life-defining event. You can just imagine like them, you know, it's like, what, what was that? What just happened here? Now, Paul will later refer to this as a vision in Acts chapter 26. But he also considered it an actual appearance of the crucified and risen Jesus, which qualified him to be a large A apostle, having witnessed, eyewitnessed the resurrected Jesus. You heard Aidan read it earlier. Paul met Jesus. The author Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records two occasions uh, later on in Acts where Paul publicly tells uh, his story, the story of the day that he met Jesus. And he, he uh, recounts those that day, and uh, he also includes a few more details. In Acts chapter 22, uh, he speaks to an angry mob in Jerusalem, and then in Acts chapter 26, he speaks to King Agrippa and his wife Bernice while he's being uh, incarcerated. And uh, he tells, his, as he tells his story, he talks about that blinding light and, and, a, and a voice. There was no other visual. His entourage that he was traveling with, they all saw the light, it says, and uh, that drove them to the ground, but they couldn't understand the voice that spoke. And in Acts chapter 22, Paul says the voice was in Hebrew. He says that also that it was the middle of the day. And that the light was brighter than the sun. Can you imagine a light brighter than the sun in the middle of the day? In chapter 22, as Paul's recounting the event before the mob in Jerusalem, he, he recalls the words in answer to his question, Who are you, Lord? As I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
So make no mistake about who this is. And then in chapter 26, when Paul's recounting the story for King Agrippa, he adds this detail, which is very, very fascinating. He says when he asked the question, who are you, Lord? The answer came back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot, (laughs) but one of the things that it means for sure is that God was at work in this young man's life long before the events of Acts chapter 9. And I think that would be really important for us to think about. God was much at work in this young man's life long before the day on the road to Damascus. What was Saul like? He was an angry man who showed no mercy because he had no mercy. Mercy was absent from his heart and from his life. He was entirely driven, totally brutal. In Acts chapter 26, as Paul talks, tells his story to Agrippa, uh, let's take a look at that. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. He's recounting that day, and he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's a good indication that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And I punish them often in all the synagogues, right in and and pull them out, and tried to make them blaspheme. And then he says this, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Raging fury. What was Saul like? His instruction as a Pharisee would not have instilled much of a felt need for self-reproach in the young Pharisee. There would be little recognition of any need for personal conviction of personal sinfulness. But something was driving this man. Something was goading him. It's, It's kind of interesting. Uh, Damascus was the ca- where, where Saul was heading on this day was the capital city and is the capital city of Syria. So I find it interesting that we have the apostles who appear reluctant to leave Jerusalem and we have Saul who's willing to go to the nations. We have the apostles who are rather hesitant to go to the nations to make disciples And we have Saul, who's willing to go to the nations to exterminate them. And then we have Ananias, brave Ananias in Damascus. Ananias, we don't know a lot about him, but Ananias lived in Damascus. He was a Christian. He was a disciple of Jesus. 
And so as these events are unfolding uh, with Saul and he's being led to Damascus by the hand um, and spending three days and nights there, not eating, not drinking, uh, what was he doing? Doesn't say there, does it? Well, it says a little bit later, it says he was praying. I'm thinking that's probably what I'd be doing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that's probably what I'd be doing too. And, uh, and then God appears. Uh, if you read on in chapter 9, God appears to Ananias and he speaks to Ananias. Uh, uh, Jesus says to him, uh, I want you to go. And I got, I got a message, uh, 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 a mission I want to send you. I want you to go. And there's this guy named Saul. Um, and... Uh, I want you to go and take a message to him. And uh, Ananias, he, uh, he says, hold, hold on a minute, Lord. Uh, I've heard about this guy. This guy's famous. And he's famous for things that I don't want anything to do with. Uh, we've all, we've heard, all heard about this guy and... Uh, you, you, this can't be, you know, this can't be, you, you, you can't be asking me to do this. He's understandably, understandably very hesitant. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias goes. He prays for Saul. Saul receives his sight. He gets up. He's baptized. And we're told that he immediately started sharing people with people what Jesus Christ had done in his life. There's a lot of irony there in this this passage, isn't there? You have the one who had utter disregard for the suffering he caused others being called to suffer for others. That's ironic. And Paul got the message. And you can read about the sufferings of Saul or Paul through the rest of the book of Acts and through his letters. We won't go into that, but it's substantial and it's very significant. Another irony here is that the one who was going to arrest people on the way got arrested. In Philippians chapter 3, when Paul talks about uh, taking hold of things for which Christ has taken hold of me, that word in the Greek has a connotation that can have that, that, that idea of being arrested. It's very ironic how God completely turned the tables on Saul of Tarsus. But perhaps the greatest irony of all in all of this, and it's the thing that stuck in Paul's heart that he never forgot, is the fact that he who had shown no mercy received mercy. Can you imagine with me for just a moment if it were you on the road to Damascus 
and you had been ravaging the church, hauling men and women out of their homes, out of the synagogues, imprisoning them, forcing them to try to get them to blaspheme God and, and, and killing them. Can you imagine when he called out, who are you, Lord? And the words came back, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. What would be going through your mind right then? I think it's the greatest of ironies here that the one who had no mercy received mercy. I tell you, Paul never, ever, ever forgot that. To the day he died, he never forgot that. Take a look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I just want to read through there with you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Paul's writing to Timothy, many years have passed. Many years have passed by this time. And he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. And he says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, or in the King James, who, of whom I am chief. But look at verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Many years have gone by as the senior Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, but as he writes these words, he's overcome with, an, with the incredible mercy of God for him. So much so that he breaks into a doxology. He says in verse 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That's what happens when when God is at work and reveals to you the kind of mercy and grace that he extended to Paul, yeah, it makes you worship, doesn't it? It makes your heart worship. It puts words of praise on your lips. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> Nobody was expecting this. Nobody saw this coming. God wasn't surprised though, was it? Was he? Because he'd been working in this young Pharisee's heart and life. In, although Paul uh, is atypical in some ways and, and many of the events surrounding his, his, uh, the day that he met Jesus are exceptional in some ways, in other ways they are essential. They are a pattern, a pattern for us. I, I think there's an element of surprise in your story too. I think that probably there is. 
The change in, in Saul's life was sudden, but uh, God was at work in Saul's life leading up to this day. Remember those goads. Remember those goads that Jesus talked about. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Um, you see, Saul was convinced that Jesus wasn't for real. Or was he? What if Jesus really is who he said he was? Stott quotes Carl Jung, who wrote that fanaticism is only found in individuals who are compensating secret doubts. If you read Romans chapter 7, and I, I, I won't be much longer, so just hold with me here. If you read Romans chapter 7, you'll see there that the Apostle Paul creates a little bit of a window to give us a view into what his life was like in those days and, uh, you know, and what God was doing in his heart. He may not have had the theology of personal sin as a Pharisee, but his conscience, <laughs> his conscience belied the point. And God used that. The word that Paul used to describe himself there is the word wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am. And don't forget Stephen. Because uh, Saul, uh, yeah, Saul never forgot Stephen. He told uh, the crowd in Jerusalem, uh, Acts 22, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving, giving my vote, watching over the garments of those who killed him. And even in those days, Jesus was pursuing this young Pharisee. Now, I'm no expert on Paul. There are a lot of people who know a lot more about, about Paul than I do. I've only shared with you some of the things that I've learned about, about Saul of Tarsus from my studies. Uh, but one thing I know about Saul, uh, who, uh, and who, that everyone knows, who knows Saul, or who knew Saul. Everyone knew this. Because it was undeniable and undeniably important that the man who got up off the ground that day was not the same man who fell to the ground that day. And there's a lot more in chapter 9, and there's a lot more in Paul's story all throughout the rest of the New Testament. But what stands out in all of it was the change. Saul did a 180. Over in Galatians, and this is the last scripture I just want you to, to glance at. In Galatians chapter 1, it's Verse 18 says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Paul's talking about when he went up to Jerusalem after the events that we're reading um, about here. And uh, verse 21 says, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. 
verse 22 says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. It's like they're saying, you know, we don't understand how this all happened exactly. We, we, we don't understand all of the ins and outs and the details. Who does? But one thing we know, one thing that's undeniable, is that the man who got up off the ground that day was a different man than the man who fell to the ground that day. He went from being a ferocious wolf to being a shepherd of the sheep. How was he different is an important question as we try to wrap this up here today. How he was different is an important question. We could talk about uh, mercy. In fact, we could talk about how what happens when an angry man experiences that kind of mercy and grace. But that's a whole other message. In fact, that's a whole other series of messages, the change that God did in Paul's life. But the big question is what happened to this man? That's the big question. Because all these things didn't happen in some corner somewhere. This is a person, a historical person who actually lived, whose life is referenced in historical documents outside of Scripture. We know that Saul of Tarsus was a real person, and we know that Paul the Apostle was a real person, and we know that there were two different people. So what happened? What could possibly account for this dramatic about face that sent shockwaves through the world then and still sends shockwaves through the world uh, today? What explanation can there possibly be for this totally unexpected, dramatic transformation of this person's life? People may want to try to explain it away, but Paul's testimony stands. Paul's testimony is this, I met Jesus Christ. And when I met him, I received mercy and grace. And I deserved none of it because I was like the worst sinner you ever met. He was never the same. Which leads to another question. Who is Jesus? In Paul's account, when he testifies before the angry mob in, Jerusalem, mob in Jerusalem, he recalls himself asking two questions that day. This I will finish with, okay? What time is it? Time to be done. This I'll finish with. He asked the Lord two questions. Do you, do you remember that? Acts 22. First question, it's recorded in Acts 9 and Acts 26. Who are you, Lord? Who is, it? Who is Jesus? The first question was answered, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. The second question was, do you know what it was? What? What? 
would you have me do, Lord? Now, the first question, I hope that you will, you will ask that question, and if you do, you'll receive the same answer that's, that Saul got. Because Jesus is Lord of all. He's the risen, crucified and risen Lord of all. Whether your name is Saul of Tarsus or Bob from Bedford, it doesn't matter. The second question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Well, that'll be, that'll be different in some ways because it depends on what God wants to do with your life. But you can know this, it will be very, very different from the view before you met Jesus. You can count on that. I hope that as you think about Saul, you'll think about the incredible transformation that happened in his life. And I hope as you do, you know, I, I don't want to drag this on this morning because I, I know, I realize I'm out of time. But have you, have you noticed lately how much anger there is in the world? What's going on inside of people's hearts is causing such a turmoil and such uh, caustic lashing out and, and hurting people? Is there a cure for that? Paul says, I met Jesus. And a man who had no mercy received mercy from the one who has grace for us all and transformed his life I wonder this morning if we can, as we end this time together in prayer, I wonder if you will pray with me and I wonder if we could just bow our heads right now and, and if you would pray with me at this time. Lord, I don't know what's all is happening in people's hearts and lives. Others, I have a hard time being honest with my own self about what's happening in my own heart a lot of the time. But I know, Lord, that we, we fight some real battles. And I know, Lord, today that there are people going through a tremendous inner turmoil in their souls. And they're, they're not getting answers because they're not looking in the right place. I just pray, Lord, with your people together today that you would reveal yourself and your incredible mercy and grace to those who today have yet to see you for who you really are and experience the amazing, amazing healing grace and mercy of Jesus in their lives. I pray, Lord, that that second question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Propel us into service for you, reaching out to others, not just receiving mercy, but showing mercy, not just receiving love, but showing love, not just receiving the gospel, but being on mission with the gospel.
for your sake, for the sake of your great name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.